Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another podcast episode. And this episode is, again, a special episode, which is going to be with a guest for this month. And the guest that I have for this month is Dr. Mitchell Yas. He is a doctor of physical therapy, and he has developed this uh, special method for chronic pain, which he calls as the YAS method. And we're going to talk about that. And the topic for today's podcast is going to be pain. Now, I know many people, as soon as they hear that, they'll just run out. They're like, I don't even want to think about it. But give us a bit of time. We'll just talk about it. It's not going to be painful. <laughs> yeah. So we'll just start with that. And welcome, Mitchell, to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I really look forward to enlightening some people about the potential of being able to resolve their pain and and live the life they so justly deserve to. Yeah, definitely. And the first thing I'll say right out to all the listeners who are listening here, don't think that something biological and stuff, as soon as I said it's chronic pain and it's going to be biological, don't think it's going to be scientific thing that we're going to throw at you. It's going to be all rounded because the thing about pain is that it's not just biological, it's mental it's spiritual as well, which is something many people don't think about. And that's the thing that we're going to dive into. So don't think that's just biological shit and just don't, you know, step back, just stay tuned. And when we talk about it, it will all make sense. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So the first thing that I'll ask, the first thing, first and foremost is origin stories. So anyone who has done something significant, now you have developed a method which has helped so many people out there and still helping a lot of people. That's such a revolutionary thing. And to do that, the person has to go through their own crap. They have to go through their own, you know, stuff in life and have that realization to do something like that, which actually contributes to the world. So how did it all begin? So my story is actually a life story, which really relates to my personal development and understanding of who I am and what I wanted to be, which then ended up transforming into my professional life. So growing up, I was an extremely thin guy. I was the 99 pound weekly who had sand kicked in his face, very intimidated, had a lot of emotional issues when I was going to school, fear of being beaten up and all this type of stuff. And it affected me tremendously. And so I did a lot of self-introspection and recognized that I needed to change that aspect of my life if I'm ever going to be happy. And so I decided I was going to try to make muscle mass and use strength training. And so from 19 to 26, I tried all the classic styles. I went to Joe Weider and Arnold Schwarzenegger and the books and the supplements and all this stuff. But it turned out that my metabolism was just too fast. I just couldn't seem to get anywhere. And then almost feeling like it was divine intervention, I suddenly remembered that I had taken a high school physics course. And something about the idea of weightlifting while I was working against gravity and gravity is a force vector. It's a vertical force vector. And I said, well, wait, maybe you could take some of those physics laws and apply it to weightlifting in terms of the fulcrum, the lever arm, all these types of physics laws. And I started applying it and it helped me to understand what was the right position to grab the bar? What was the right angle to push against? And over the next four years, I put 40 pounds of muscle on. I went from 160 pounds to 200 pounds. And this is not steroids. This is just pure discipline and desire. And as I was coming to the end of these four years, my first career was a project manager in construction. Mm -hmm. And I, by that point, had become disillusioned with it. I didn't see any great satisfaction in doing it. I was kind of just doing it for money. And I was looking for a second career. Well, I quit construction. I take a job in a gym. And the guy I meet, the first guy says, you know, you can work on people's bodies. You don't even have to be a physician. You could have degrees which don't take as long in terms of medical school. There's physical therapy, occupational therapy, exercise physiology. So I said, okay, which do you think is the toughest? He said, physical therapy. I looked into it. I applied. I got into physical therapy school. Now, Another aspect of my childhood, which seemed to help me at this point, was that my father is has a degree in physics. He's an electronic engineer, designs intercom systems for every weapon system in the United States arsenal. 
Well, I was amazed by his logic, the way he thought, the process of thinking and analyzing blew me away as a child. And I wanted to learn that method. So by the time I was eight or nine years old, I knew Ohm's law of electricity. I was learning theoretical thinking. It wasn't enough to know that two plus one is three or three plus one is four. He told me you have to know N plus one. The theoretical basis of adding one to any number, that way, if you're ever given a number and someone asks you what's the next number, you would know how to get there and just apply that to every aspect of life. And so that's the mindset that I developed from childhood all the way through to my 20s. So by the time I got to medical school, (laughs) I wasn't your normal student. I wasn't just taking the information in and regurgitating it back. I was analyzing it and saying, well, it either makes sense or it doesn't make sense. And I hate to tell you, the majority of what I was learning about pain didn't make sense. So I said, all right, let me just get the degree. And then as I get out, I'll start to try to figure it out. So I'm now in the final stages of school where you're now going to do your affiliations. You're going to act as a physical therapist. And I'm now in front of people and people are in front of me and they're saying they're in pain and they can't function. And to me, the most logical first question was, could you just show me where your pain is so I could understand what you're talking about? Mm -hmm. And when they pointed to their pain, it became very apparent that that location was not the location you would expect the pain to be if the MRI identified structural abnormality like a herniated disc, arthritis, stenosis, a meniscal tear was to cause pain. Every tissue creates pain in a certain location. And therefore, if an MRI identified a structural variation, you were told that was the cause of your pain. You would expect pain to be in a certain area where the structure creates pain. And almost everybody was identifying pain not in those locations. So I said to myself, well, I could either just do the treatment as I was told for the identified structural variation, or I could try to figure out what tissue is creating their pain and then go on and try to treat that tissue. And it turns out that right from the get-go, I recognized that in more than 98% of cases, the cause of pain was muscle where they were pressing the physical indicators of alteration of posture and movement, flexibility tests, muscle tests, everything was saying the fact that they described their symptom as associated with activity. Everything said the cause was muscular. And therefore, I identified which muscles were responsible for their pain, did massage and exercise. And within a treatment or two treatments, they were pain-free and fully functional. And instantly recognized I was onto something and this was going to be the path I was going to follow and try to enhance my understanding about. Man, that, that's that, that itself, you know, like it's like an art. You can see that, you know, you developed something of your own. It's innovative and you did it in a way where it actually helps people and you didn't go through the normal norm. That's such a big thing. It's like- it, It's very, it's, I, I want people to understand, you know how many people are out there And they've gone to all these different practitioners and they haven't had their pain improved or reduced or their quality of life changed. And everybody keeps saying the same thing. Oh, pain is a very complex issue. Pain is a very complex issue. It's a very complex issue if you don't know how to identify the actual cause and resolve it. For the average person, two plus one equal three would be a very complex issue if you didn't know that two plus one equals three, right? If you didn't know that, then you would say, wow, it's how do I figure that? Wow, that's complex. Well, if you don't know how to identify the cause of pain by interpreting symptoms, then you never get to understanding the cause. And therefore, it seems complex to identify the cause. That's what I need people to understand. That's why you're in pain and continue to be in pain for years, if not decades. Mm -hmm. That's so true. It, it reminds me of my time with maths, you know, when there was a problem, I would be like, it's so damn complex. As soon as I saw the solutions, like, what? <laughs> Everyone who's learned math or science, they, the first time you hear it, you're like, oh my God, this is so complex. I can't understand it. Then you get the information to understand how to process it. And then it's like, wow, that's actually pretty easy. It's easy when you know how to do something. It's horribly difficult and complex when you don't. 
at least you, you have to start regardless you know just start working on it and slowly we'll learn that's that's the beauty of it absolutely yeah definitely and the best thing about it it's like you know the thing about this physical pain is like just like emotional pain if you think about it emotional pain we think that it's something but it's actually not that exact thing it might be something else that's causing it we're just reacting on the symptom and we're trying to treat the symptom but the cause might be something else so there's two things that can happen between the connection of physical and mental pain so let's say you were walking up a flight of stairs and all of a sudden you hurt your knee and you keep going to try to find the cause of it, meaning the tissue in distress eliciting the pain so that you could address the distress of that tissue, thereby ending its need to elicit pain. And you just can't get there. All of a sudden, you start in your life seeing stairs. Now you become apprehensive because I know that walking upstairs is going to cause pain. Now I'm freaking out. Now, every time I come across a, a place where I'm going to have to go upstairs, I'm having a massive anxiety attack. So now the physical pain is leading to mental pain and even spiritual pain. I feel lesser of a person because I'm not capable of doing what I want. Then you could have the alternative side of this. Let's say you went through a traumatic event, right? Well, that might lead you to become very depressed and, and sad. And as a result of that, Maybe you don't interact in your life the way you used to, and it leads you to stay in bed for more periods of time and be disassociated with interacting with others. Well, that could lead to physical weakness, which could then lead to muscle straining, which could then lead to physical pain. So you could have a mental issue end up leading to a physical issue. But ultimately, Regardless of which way it goes, the reality is you've got to address both. Yeah. If you're ever going to be whole as a human being, you must see the relationship between physical, mental, and spiritual connections. And any one can cause a breakdown of the other. And for you to be whole, all three must be balanced. Yeah, that, that is really true. That is so true. And this, this connection, many people just, you know, misunderstand it at times. You know, they think it's physical and it's only physical and there's nothing going on in the background. Many times it's connected and that's the thing that's causing the issue. No matter how much you try to, you know, resolve it physically, it might not be that kind of physical solution that you're looking for. It might be a mental one, you know? Well, well the, the thing is, is you have to kind of step back and look at your, kind of say to yourself, how am I doing spiritually think about yourself a am i at peace with myself am i not at a at a very good place uh the same thing from mental and physical and you eventually if you could do self introspection you could begin to see which one seems to be guiding the other which seems like it's the most off kiltered is it that you sense that the pain at my knee seems to generate this sense of anguish or can I associate the beginnings of my pain with some emotional distress that occurred? I had a relationship breakup. I lost a job. I was in a car accident, something that may have then led to a reduction in functional activity, which could then lead to um, a, 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 the development of, of physical pain. So, I'm not saying that people don't need guidance, but unless you're willing to open yourself up and really look within yourself, I think it becomes very hard to find that perfect balance of spiritual, uh, mental, and physical uh, happiness, joy, uh, peace. So, yeah, people have to open up. That's such a big thing. They have asked, as soon as they realize it. They have to open up. They have to seek help. That's the biggest point. Many people avoid seeking help. They say, okay, I'll solve it by myself. And it might not be the case. You, you, you don't know it. For You're already thinking it's complex. How is it that you're going to solve this all by yourself? You need right. help, be it online, be it in person. You've got to get some help. But, you, but at the base of it, you have to be willing to say there is something within me. Yeah. What I think happens is the average person is really, it's very hard to address things that you might not be happy about yourself. And so that's why 
when you didn't get the raise, you would attack the person who didn't give you the raise as the reason that you're so unhappy. Yeah. When in fact, the reason you're really unhappy is because you're thinking someone else got a raise. Therefore, they're better than you. And actually, I'm not a good person. That's why I didn't get the raise. And it's the fact you don't feel happy about yourself, which is actually the cause of your unhappiness and maybe your pain. And so this enlightenment that I found three years ago made me realize that my self-worth, my self-esteem basically can be seen as a crystal. Mm -hmm. It's the same crystal quantity of crystal I had from birth. It's never changed. And everything that happens to me or every relationship or connection I have with people is external to the crystal. So those things should never impact my feelings of self-worth or self-love. And yet, if you're fragile, if you don't have a strong feeling about your self-worth and, and self-love, those things can instantly impact that and suddenly make you start to feel bad about yourself for no other reason than something external happened. And, and there could be a reason. Let's say that you didn't get that job. You didn't get that raise and you're all upset and you think it's because you suck and maybe someone's better. And it turns out that the company has just found out they've had a massive loss in income and they're not in a position to give raises right now. Mm -hmm. Right. That had nothing to do with you. Yeah. So why do you take it upon yourself to make you think that you suck because of that? Mm -hmm. And that's the point. You don't know the reason why everything happens to you. You don't know why people do things as they do it. So stop taking it upon yourself and simply recognize that you are this great, wonderful, loving person and that whatever happens, it's happening external to you. And maybe there's a reason. Maybe you didn't get that raise because there's a better job coming in a month from now. And you didn't know it at the time. So you saw something negative happen when, in fact, that was a positive leading to an even better positive. Yeah. Well, negative things have to happen for something positive to happen as well. It's like, you know, I have a really good analogy for it. I heard it from my mentor. He said that, you know, there's a guy, okay, and he has his car. He has his usual everyday car. And he sees that for some reason his car is being towed away. And he's running behind the car saying, stop, stop, stop. And the car is being towed away and it's gone. And now he's all, you know, sad about it. And he's saying, what will I do now? Afterwards, when he sees this is a, there's a brand new car now next to that car, <laughs> that car is gone. Now there's a brand new car. And then his wife comes and says, oh yeah, I, you know, I took that car and the car dealer person just took the old car and he gave you this new one. And you're like, you're happy about it now. You don't even yeah. give a shit about the old car. That's right. That's the thing. So always expect something positive to happen because if something bad has happened, there has to be a balance to that. So here's my ultimate point to this. And this gets very hard for the average person to accept. Apply no connotation to anything. Mm -hmm. There is no good or bad. Yeah. There is no big or small. There is no black or white. Yeah. There simply is. is. Mm -hmm. And if you're willing to accept that whatever's happening is, it allows you to be free to say, well, I'm going to relish whatever this thing is that's happening with the understanding that it may have a, 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 a connection to something in the future. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. But I don't need to know. Yeah. Because I don't need to know where my life is going to end. All I know is when I get there, I'll be made aware of all the reasons for all the things that happened to me. And at that point, I'll have complete enlightenment, complete understanding. But until then, why don't I just try to relish every moment? Yeah. And even things that somehow feel like a struggle, and this is going to, again, sound like it's a very hard thing to accept. If you relish the struggle... If you really appreciate that you're being put through this process and enjoy the journey, less worrying about the destination, 
when you eventually get to the destination, I'm telling you, the journey is going to feel remarkable. It's not going to feel like it was a bad thing. It's going to feel like it was an amazing thing because you've learned so much from that journey. That is so true. People miss out on the journey because they're so damn focused on the destination. And many a times because they don't focus on the journey, they don't ever reach to the destination itself. That's right. That's right. And now think about this. You're 10, 20 years into your life and maybe you got to that destination and it turned out it wasn't quite as satisfying as you thought it was going to be. That's the thing. You just wasted 10 to 20 years to find that out. Yeah. How sad is that? You only so I'm 61 and I found enlightenment three years ago. Um, And I as before then, I was going through a lot of negative things. And I I'll be very honest. I've been doing what I do for almost 30 years. And I started questioning myself and saying, why would I have been asked to give up half my life, more than half my life of this? What a terrible thing. I, I can't believe that I've given up all this time for nothing, for no reason. And then I found enlightenment and this sense of living this fulfilling life on a daily basis and recognizing that things in my past are now buttressing me, setting the foundation for what is going to be this ability to take my method to a more national and global level. And I actually, and this is the crazy part, I relish the last 30 years. I look at it and say, thank God I went through those 30 years. Yeah, that's so true. They made you, essentially. (laughs) That's the part. See, you as you're going through something, if you're taking a negative connotation to it, You think this is a horrible, horrible thing you're going through. And when is it going to end? And why me? And how come I have to be persecuted? But if you go through it with the understanding that you don't have to know where the end is, what the end is, or how this is going to relate, but at some point it is part of your life's journey, then you take it with a different connotation. And it actually, where something may have felt negative or leading to unhappiness will feel more like a challenge and satisfying as you complete it. It's the same event, simply thought of in two different ways. That's all. Yeah, that's the classic time I would say perception is reality. That's Absolutely. Absolutely. What is, is and again, I, I just I, I just feel like if you can work to not attach connotation to things, mm-hmm. you are going to be extremely happy. What, what, what really leads to unhappiness for most people is attaching connotation, which then leads to anticipation. So I see that car and I think it's an expensive car and I want an expensive car. So the connotation of it being an expensive car makes me feel like I anticipate that at some point I can have that car. (laughs) Well, maybe his life journey wasn't designed to make you have that car. And the time longer time goes on, that you think that that's what you were supposed to have, the more you're going to become angrier and angrier and bitter and bitter. Frustrated. And so without connotation, things are what they are. Mm -hmm. So if, if you see a car as nothing more than transportation, the ability to get, I really don't give a shit right now what kind of car I drive. I don't care. Because it's really not on the priority of my life. Mm-hmm. Living in the moment is a priority in my life. Yeah. I have bird feeders in my backyard. Staring at birds, to me, is a tremendous priority in my life. I have a daughter. Spending time with my daughter is a priority in life. Helping people resolve their pain and have the life they choose is a priority in my life. Coming on podcasts 
and trying to educate people about how to resolve their pain or even to find enlightenment is a priority in my life. And I have literally never been happier than now in my life. The idea of physical property somehow making you happy usually is a subconscious attempt to justify that you're a good person because you have lots of things. And people talk about all the lots of things that you have, and therefore you must be a good person. I went through the process and I can tell you that's a very, very bad place to end up. You're not going to be happy because once you have your first million, you think that's going to make you happy. You're going to want your second, your third. I had a 23 foot boat. I wanted a 27 foot boat. I got a 31 foot boat. I got a 35 foot boat. By the time I got the 35 foot boat, even my wife at the time was like, I can't believe you're two months into this and you're already looking for another boat. <laughs> and, and it's true. And it was once I found enlightenment that I recognized these are just attempts for me to say I'm a good person yeah. because I have things and people talk about the that doesn't make you a good person. You, you, it, if anything, it's sustaining your potential self-loathing for yeah. yourself because there's a point which happened to me where all that could be taken away and suddenly because you had the false connection that you're a good person with lots of stuff mm -hmm. well now you are a very very bad person when everything is taken away mm -hmm. and that's where your self-esteem plummets mm -hmm. plummets and you find yourself in a very very dark place which is what happened to me and it took me close to a decade to come out of it. And when I did come out of it, I, I saw the path. I saw that what I was doing was foolish. It was propping up my self-esteem by false representations as to what it means to have. Having good self-esteem simply means yourself as this loving spirit. That's it. And it doesn't matter what your physical presentation is. Uh, it doesn't, nothing else matters other than that you are this loving spirit and you are looking to share the gift of your love with others. And I will always tell people now, and this is the, one of the great gifts I found, is that the greatest thing you can get is the opportunity to give. And that was something that was shocking to me. I never would have thought that. But my God, I can tell you now, every time someone gets back to me and say, you've changed my life, I'm pain-free, I could do what I want, um, and just thank you, I get this warm feeling in my chest. And I always subconsciously am saying, thank you for the gift you've given me to know this information. Thank you for giving me the chance to share it with the other person. That's so true. And I can say for sure, like, you know, the people who are listening to this, as soon as they absorb the things that we're talking about, I, I can guarantee that they'll feel a bit more lighter in their head and all the notch will start, you know, like getting out and they'll feel better. It was so stress. Like I did an entire extended essay. I had like a 4,000 word essay in my school, which I had to do. And I didn't on stress. And I saw stress is such a big root cause for such a lot of things. I was like, what? It's like, it's crazy. Heart disease, nervous disease. Oh, sure. It's like all over the place. And when I look at people and they're telling me that I have this problem and I, it's not getting solved, it's like, have you looked at your stress? Have you seen that you're exhausted more often? You're putting, you're pushing yourself. It's like at the end of the day, when they get a big cruise ship, they'll realize that they are in tons of stress and they'll not be able to even use the damn cruise ship because they'll be dead. Right. But what, let, let's just think about this, and this will help pe hopefully help people understand. What is stress? Stress is based on thoughts that you have, okay? I'm not good. And this is a big one. Are thoughts real? Are thoughts real? The answer is no, thoughts are not real. The only thing that's real is the moment. Yeah. The tree, the chair I'm sitting in, the emotional feeling I have, those are all real. Mm -hmm. So what happens is the person begins to think about the situation they're in 
and they continue to think about it and, and becomes a focus. And what is the focus that they're 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 having in their life are thoughts. Mm-hmm. And when you're thinking, you can't live in the moment. So if you're thinking negatively, how do you think you're ever going to be able to get out of the very situation that is leading to the negative thoughts? Mm-hmm. It becomes a cycle. It's, it's a cycle that you can't stop. Mm-hmm. And the more the thoughts created an emotional negative attachment to the thoughts, the deeper you go. And so in a case like that, in my mind, people can try to go for psychological help and take medications. Mm -hmm. I'm telling you now, at the core of your problem is that you have to recognize that what you're fearful of are nothing more than thoughts. And thoughts are not real. Mm -hmm. Thoughts are not real. If you want, the biggest thing most people think about and fear is death. Mm -hmm. People talk about death. Well, death is a reality. Death is coming for everybody. So it's real and it's going to come. And when it comes, that's it. It's over. But why would you spend one one iota of time thinking about it? If you're thinking about it, That is to say you're living in your thought. Therefore, you can't be living in the moment, relishing all the opportunity that life has for you. And as a result of that, you're not living. You're, in a sense, dying slowly. How does that help you? How does that improve the quality of your life? I, at 61... I'm less fearful about death than I was three years ago or four years ago because I've said to myself, it's going to come. And whenever it comes, I'll be at peace because there'll be the long rest and that'll be it. Whatever problems people have, you don't have to worry about those problems anymore when you're dead. So you got that going for you. So I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to think about it. I'm going to live my life so that at the point when I am ready to die, the moment before I can say, I've had the greatest life. I'm ready to call it quits. That's, that's it. I've, I've done everything I've wanted. I've had millions of chances for joy and love. And, and in my particular case, hopefully I'll leave a legacy. There'll be people who will use the Yas method well after I pass away. And maybe my daughter will go on and follow in my whatever. But the reality is that I will be at peace. And, and it's allowed me to be happier. I, I tell people, you know, for the last three years, I have not had an unhappy day. Not one. Not one. That would make sense because for us, there's no connotation, as you said. You know, there's no good or bad. Everything's, you know, the present. It's today. We are going through with that. And as long as we keep our perception in a happy and positive state, we are going to be happy no matter what the heck happens. It's not going to rain for us. It's going to be you know, sunny all the time. That's just how it is. Well, so so that's a classic example. So let's say you were planning to go to the beach today and you find out it's going to pour, right? So if it pours, if you created a connotation or an anticipation of going to the beach, that anticipation is not fulfilled. So you get negative emotions attached to it. So... I'm at the point in my life where I say, wow, it'll be great. We'll go to the beach. It'll be fun. And then it rains. I say, wow, I find it so incredibly peaceful to sit and listen to rain. I I, I think it's one of the most amazing things. So I'm just going to sit in the garage, open the door, maybe drink a glass of wine, put some spa music on and relish, relish the rain. That's so cool. Which one sounds like you're going to be happier having connotation and anticipation or simply living in the moment, whatever that moment brings and finding joy in that thing. Mm-hmm. Second one, obviously. It's clearly, it's yeah. clearly that way. And you, no one's going to allow you to achieve that way of thinking you're going to have to do it and it it relates to introspective thinking 
You're going to have to go into yourself and try to figure out what is it about. In most cases, in my feeling, my opinion is, in most cases, the reason people are unhappy is because there's some deep underlying thing about themselves they're just not happy about. And it simply presents itself over and over again. As negative events occur or negative relationship types of things occur, it's always triggering that sense of, I just don't like myself. That's why it's happening to me. And so you got to try to find that place where you can figure out. In my case, one of the biggest things was um, the the thinness that I had and this absurd connotation that I created about it, meaning that I'm an inferior person. I'm a bad person. And it stayed with me for 50 years until I finally came. And one of the coolest things was once I found this enlightenment, this peace, I actually said, you need to forgive yourself. You were just a boy. You didn't understand things. So you have to forgive yourself for all the negative attitudes and, and, and mindsets that you had about yourself and say, you, you were just a boy. You, you didn't understand what was happening. And amazingly, that forgiveness of how you've hurt yourself frees yourself. Yeah, that's true. That's so. true. It's like, it, this is the thing, you know, this, this contributes to people. Now people think about it and people naturally feel better if they actually absorb the words and they realize it. Realization at least gives them a good start. You know, they realize it. Now they want to work towards it. That's great. And moving on to the YAS method, like, could you like tell people how exactly the YAS method works? Yeah. So basically, if you look at the global mechanism for identifying the cause of pain, it's primarily the MRI. Pretty much anyone in the world knows that if you're in pain, you're going to be requested to get an MRI. It's going to get an interpretation. It's going to find structural variations at the location where you're having your pain, the region. And you're going to be told because the structural variation is identified for the first time while you're having your pain, it is asserted to be the cause of your pain. That's the way this works. Well, for people to understand, that is known as correlative theory or junk science. That is to say that it's the equivalent of saying, if I open my front door, when the sun rises, I can say opening my front door causes the sun to rise. So what it's doing is it's trying to create correlation, not causation. And as I mentioned, the biggest thing that I recognize regarding why this is a baseless mechanism is that in more than 98% of the cases of people I've treated, where the person's symptom was, wasn't where it should be if the structural variation identified were to cause pain. Well, if we're recognizing that a tissue creates pain as a way of creating conscious awareness of the stress of the tissue, thereby allowing you to get an intervention to resolve the distress, and then once resolved, it doesn't have to elicit the pain, you have to recognize that every tissue creates symptoms in specific areas. You know that primarily because what's the symptom of having a heart attack? Pain at the chest and the left arm, right? If you have ankle pain, you don't say, shit, I think I'm having a heart attack, right? It's a specific tissue creating a specific symptom. Well, that's what the YAS method is saying, is that the interpretation of the symptoms is a much more accurate means of understanding what tissues in distress creating those symptoms than simply accepting the, the MRI resultant, which those structural variations, the highest probability is that they exist and are independent of the tissue in distress eliciting the pain. Uh, it's important to understand that as many people without pain, studies have shown as many people without pain in the same percentages have the same structural variation. So the idea of finding a structural variation at the time of pain implying causation is simply baseless. Yeah. You definitely want to go with interpreting the body's presentation of symptoms. And as I said, in more than 98% of cases, that presentation will show the cause is muscular. And again, let's take an analysis of some symptoms. So if a hernia, so I just had a guy 17 years old and he was told that the cause of his shoulder's pain, an MRI found a labral tear, the meniscus in the shoulder between the thigh, between the arm bone and the shoulder, the shoulder blade. Okay. So that's what he's told. And then he's told, well, what you should do is strengthen the muscle surrounding the shoulder to stabilize 
the labrum. Now, let's, again, I'm going to teach you logic. Mm -hmm. You are being told that the cause of the pain is a tear of the labrum. A tear is creating the pain, the tear of the labrum. So if I gave you an equation for people who are scientifically based, tear equals pain, X equals no pain, what would you expect X to be? No tear. Tear equals pain. By definition, no tear equals no pain. How could anyone see that in any respect differently? Therefore, if in fact a tear is creating a pain, there was only going to be one thing that was going to fix it, which is surgery, right? So why are they going to try to strengthen muscle? To, because the failure rate for surgery is so extreme that nobody even rationally thinks that it's going to work. So we have to go a different route and create some ridiculous rationale for justifying treatment. And then when that fails, maybe the person's more apt to try the surgery. Okay? So the guy is saying his pain's right here and I press in the area and I create the pain. And he says, yeah, they said, that's my labrum. Okay, I'm going to teach you more logic. <laughs> this is the outside of your shoulder. The labrum is on the inside of the shoulder. I would have to open up the shoulder to touch your labrum. I can't touch your labrum on the outside of your shoulder. So that, again, sounds rather peculiar to tell somebody. And that's what they told this guy. Now, if we actually try to understand what I pressed right here and he jumped through the roof, what I'm pressing on, this is actually a biceps tendon. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The bicep is known in the upper arm, but there's a tendon that runs and attaches to the upper shoulder joint. Mm -hmm. So... Basically, what I was able to show him through an ex a series of physical tests is that he had strained the bicep tendon mm -hmm. because his rotator cuff was weak. And as he would raise his arm, the head of the arm bone would rise and impinge on the space where the bicep tendon existed. Mm -hmm. So it was a mechanical deficit of the arm bone rising and impinging on the bicep due to weakness of the shoulder of the rotator cuff muscles and a few other muscles. So all he has to do is strengthen that and he'll be pain-free and fully functional. Now, does he have a labral tear? Yes, most likely it's a degenerative tear. Mm -hmm. It's torn over time very slowly because the arm bone isn't being held in the joint properly and it's rubbing against it. So the labral tear is not the cause of pain. It is a resultant of the cause of pain, just as the pain itself is a resultant of the cause of pain, which is impingement and loss of control of the head of the arm bone due to weakness of muscle. So from that example, you could understand that if you go through the process that the medical establishment would have had you go, you would have ended up getting a surgery which would have done nothing to resolve your pain because it wasn't going to address the muscular cause and you would be having chronic pain indefinitely. While with the YAS method, I, on the first attempt through the physical, and present, physical presentation of the symptoms, recognized it as muscular and was able to show him how to resolve his pain on the first attempt which now will allow him to be pain-free and fully functional for the rest of his life. That's the difference. Listening to the body and looking at the body and interpreting the body is much more accurate than simply accepting the interpretation of an image from a what? A surgeon, mm -hmm. a person who does surgery for a living. Mm -hmm. Doesn't sound like he's going to be extremely objective, but you could make your own determinations about that. Yeah, it's, that's crazy. Seriously, like the amount, like think about it. If the person was told that they had to go through surgery and stuff, the amount of money and things. 
Oh, it's thousands. So when we talk about hip and knee replacements, which is the biggest surgery being performed out there now. So what happens is you get the hip replacement. You end up having the same exact pain as before. Well, you're going to be told, well, the surgery didn't go exactly as we thought. The prosthetic isn't fitting exactly the way it should. The cement didn't take properly. I didn't give you the right size prosthetic. So you need a revision. But now I want you to think of the logic. Mm -hmm. I want you to think of this again logically. You had pain prior to the surgery. Mm -hmm. You have the joint replacement and you end up with the same exact pain as before. And you're told it's from the surgery not working properly. But you had the pain before the surgery. So how could it be the surgery? <laughs> it's kind of stupid to even think about it. So they're kind of saying that the surgery fixed the pain, but somehow the surgery is again causing the pain. It's like, what? So you'll get a first revision, a second. I treated a person who had up to nine revisions on the same surgery. And magically had the same pain <laughs> as prior to the first surgery. <laughs> Eight surgeries did not fix it. All the it's, it's insanity, man. You, you just have to understand that there are two primary, in my mind, there are two primary reasons that this continues to exist with the failure rates, just so people can understand. People who are in pain think, well, it maybe it's me and a few other people. No, it's 130 million Americans and roughly 1 billion people worldwide suffering from chronic pain. It is by far the biggest health issue relating to the global population. Nothing, not cancer, cardiovascular disease, chronic pain is king. More than one out of every three people in the United States, one out of every seven people in the world suffering from chronic pain, right? And they've had 40 years of trying to address it and the numbers have never gone down, which tells you probably something systemic in how they're trying to address the issue. Now, number one, Regardless of where you are in the world, it's a fee-for-service basis. So it doesn't matter if it's private health care or national health care. The person gets paid regardless of outcome. So if you had, let's say that guy, that, that teenage boy had that labral tear surgery and they got 75000 for it or whatever they get for it, and the guy's still in as much pain after, if not more, they still get that money, Right. So that's all aspects of the medical system. It's fee for service, yeah. right? That's a problem. Secondly, if in fact they're diagnosing the wrong thing because they're only dependent on the MRI, which cannot show muscular causes. Remember, that strained rotator cuff was never going to show up on an MRI. An imbalance of the quad muscle to the hamstring leading to knee pain is never going to show up on an MRI. The piriformis muscle in the butt impinging on the sciatic nerve causing sciatica is never going to show up on an MRI. So I've said that in more than 98% of cases, the cause of pain is muscular. Well, if you recognize that muscular causes don't show up on MRIs and they're not educated or trained to identify them, that should help you understand why misdiagnosis is so prevalent Mm -hmm. and why they continue to treat the wrong tissue, yeah. right? That's why chronic pain exists. So you're treating the wrong thing and you continue to get paid for treating the wrong thing. Why should that ever change? They're making a living out of it. It is even exactly getting, that. Even getting a MRI doesn't make sense. MRI also costs money. It's crazy. Of course, but as long as they're getting paid for it, as long as there's no attempt to attach outcome to it, why would you stop getting it? Everyone talks about it costs money, it costs money. Well, it's for instance, I'll give you the classic equivalent. The military gets paid for making weapons. Mm -hmm. So why wouldn't you constantly want to create wars? <laughs> yeah, obviously. Everyone's going to say war is bad <laughs> unless you get paid to, to provide the munitions for the war, then war is very good. <laughs> That's so true. That, that is true. It's the same. It's called the self-fulfilling prophecy. Mm -hmm. I create the problem that I get paid to fix. And even though I don't get, I don't fix it, I continue to get paid to fix it. Yeah.
it, again, I would say it's all rounded up in the healthcare that's going on. It's crazy. They're profiting from it. It's a ripoff. Actually, I, you know, I interviewed a person back sometime back, Dr. Robert Yoho, he was in, you know, like he was in this research, deep research on how, you know, like they're profiting, pharmaceutical companies and healthcare in general is profiting from other people's, you know, problems and stuff. And yeah. they're not actually dealing with that. They're not actually helping them. They're ripping them off. It's crazy. And just blows. It's, it's very sad. And, and for the average person, they think that the medical establishment is a monopoly, right? You can only go to the medical establishment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to make people recognize the Yas method sits outside the medical establishment. Mm -hmm. I don't follow MRIs. I uh, Let me make sure this is another thing to understand. I have a doctorate of physical therapy, mm -hmm. but that is an educational credential. Yeah, I don't treat based on the premises of physical therapy. The American Physical Therapy Association on their own website will describe physical therapy as a palliative care, which is to say it's designed to simply mask symptoms or diminish symptoms, the equivalent of acupuncture or massage. I don't believe that. The YAS method says that pain is an indication of a tissue in distress. The goal of diagnostics is to identify the tissue, resolve the stress of that tissue, thereby ending its need to elicit the distress signal of pain. Mm -hmm. If it turns out that it's muscular, then understanding which muscles are responsible for creating the pain, performing the appropriate progressive resistance exercises to those muscles will lead to a resolution of symptoms by resolving the cause. Yeah. Very different. It's outside of the general premises of physical therapy and the medical system that thinks that the cause of pain in all cases is structural. I'm telling you in more than 98% of cases, it's muscular. And you can't find an alternative means other than the YAS method to identify those causes. They, they just don't show up on diagnostic tests and there's no specialty educated or trained to do so. That's the blessing I was given in physical therapy school when I recognized that what I was being taught was baseless, illogical, had no value to my attempt to help people. And I went into this, I graduated at 32 years old. I wanted to help people and I was gonna find a path. And thank God I was given the background that I had that allowed me to go on and, and pursue this understanding. And it is extremely, extremely effective. It's, it's overwhelming. Um, and and because of that, I do feel blessed that I've been given the opportunity and the chance to do this for people. And, and I'm humbled by that fact. And um, as I say, every time I do it and I work with people, I always in my mind, I'm saying thank you to a higher power for giving me this gift. Thank you for being allowed me to share this gift with that person. And I see myself as a conduit and I, I feel blessed. I, I have never felt happier in my life because of this. That's so true. And also talking to the right kind of people, like if anyone approaches you, you'll be the best person for that kind of job because of your yasmada and stuff. So like in person or online. So best thing you told me before we met, you, you do online as well. And this best, like to anyone who's listening, you can just like go on a Zoom meet and you'll be the right person for the job. At least you can get, you know, you can point the right, you know, point them to the right direction. Yeah, so um, uh, just uh, regarding the Zoom session, so um, I've written three books, two are by Hay House Publishing, which is the second largest publisher in the world. So my books have been um, sold here in the United States, Canada, England, Australia, India, and South Africa. I also write for an international magazine called What Doctors Don't Tell You, and that's sold in 20 countries and translated into 14 languages. So um, I've had exposure internationally, and as a result, people have contacted me internationally. And so um, I did a PBS special uh, in 2015, and that's when the one of the, the first of the two books I were published by Hay House came out. So it's been seven years since then, and and before there was Zoom, Skype had just been in its fruition, and so I started doing teleconferencing years ago, and I feel that I've really worked to just as I've worked to perfect as best I can the YAS method. I've worked to understand the constraints of teleconferencing, and I think I've made it very effective. So now I do do Zoom sessions, 
And um, I've done them for people in Taiwan, Switzerland, Portugal, England, several, several countries. Um, and I, I feel that they are very, very effective. The person should understand the sessions are videotaped. Mm -hmm. That's a very important thing to understand. So after our first session, you get that videotape to make sure that you have that to utilize so that you're doing things effectively. Mm -hmm. I promote the idea of having two-week follow-up sessions. So you're going to go two weeks on your own doing these exercises, but then in two weeks, we're going to meet again. And I'm going to try to sit back and see what you're doing. You're going to describe, are your symptoms improving? Are you, is your function improving? You're going to show me how you're doing the exercises. We're either going to have to correct how you're doing it, or we might add more exercises. But the attempt here is to guide you through the path to a point in which you control your functionality and the limiting ability of having no pain. That's what this is about. You don't necessarily have to be in person. Uh, by the way, I'm in Jacksonville, Florida. The one point I'd make about that is that if in fact muscle is the cause of your pain, massage does help break up the knotting within the muscle, allows it to go to a more extended length, which is where it creates its optimal force. So the response to an in-person session most likely will be more effective, more dramatic and quicker, but it does not mean that massage is required to utilize the method to reach being pain-free and fully functional. I have done, I don't, it's certainly hundreds, if not a couple of thousand of Zoom sessions by now. And what I would tell you is that we really look for you to be under control with you having an understanding of how to do your, your exercises and see the resultants uh, of it pain-free and fully functional within two to three sessions. We, we are not, to make this clear, this is not a six month to a year process. This is weeks to a month or two. That's where I look to see, to get people to have control and to be pain-free and fully functional. Now, obviously it depends on the extent of the situation you're in, how long you've had it, other contributing factors, but the general rule I'm looking for is in two to, in two to three sessions, I want you seeing that you have control of this and you're weaning away from me and now just dependent on yourself. That is so true. And to all the listeners out there, I will put down the links for all the books and even the magazine if I can. And also where you can have that, you know, Zoom call and stuff, how you can, you know, go through that appointment. So you could just like go through that to anyone who is going through any kind of chronic pain or they think that they're concerned about it. So, you know, you get pointed to the right direction and that's the best thing. And that's really good. So I'll do that. And now that we have come to an end for the podcast episode, I'm so enlightened, you know, like it's such a great talk. Every single time I understand something new, I'm just like, my eyes are all open and I'm like all over the place. It's such a good thing. And I learned so much. And, you know, thanks to you. Thanks to everyone who comes here as a guest. I get to learn so much. And the listeners also get to get a new perspective, get some realizations going, ask themselves like, you know, okay, I've realized it, what to do now? And they can go through with that, with our help. And that's such a beautiful thing. So thank you. I, I appreciate the opportunity. And I, I, I have worked with thousands of people, many who were suicidal. Um, I can tell you, I know for a fact that constantly seeking care and not getting results slowly but surely leads to hopelessness, disillusionment, uh, sadness, and unfortunately, oftentimes to the idea you can't live with it much longer. Uh, my message to everybody who's in pain is please, whatever you do, don't give up. I promise you, and I believe through my enlightenment that there is an answer to every question. And all you're seeking in life is to find that person who has the right answer. They are out there. They are out there. You just have to keep looking. So um, I always appreciate the opportunity to come on, spread the, the, the message that there is this method that exists and to please give it the opportunity to think about it. If it makes sense, don't do it because I say so. Mm -hmm. Listen to what I say. And if it makes sense to you, then please follow up because this could be the path to ending your pain and regaining, reclaiming your life, which everyone justly deserves to have nobody 
Nobody should live with chronic pain. It simply should not exist. By law, it just should not exist. You just have to find the tissue creating the pain, resolve the stress of it, thereby ending its need to elicit the symptom. And um, I believe this is the best, most effective way of doing so. So thanks for the opportunity to let me share this with people. Definitely. And to all the listeners out there, go quickly down the description and check the links out. I'll put the links. And if you want to reach out to Mitchell, I'll leave the links for that as well. So you can, you know, get in, cut, get in touch. If you don't want to go for a Zoom call, a proper Zoom call, you can just, you know, go through social media, DMs and stuff. You can do that as well. You can reach out to me if you want help from me. We are all here to help. And, you know, we are all very happy and we are going to welcome you with open arms. That's just how it is. Don't be scared about it. Don't be shy about it. This is the last thing you got to feel shy about it. Come talk. It's not something that you should be ashamed of. You should be sad about, or you should be shy about. This is a serious thing. If it's pain, go to Mitchell. If it's something else, something going on in your life, come to me or to other people that have been on this podcast show. Be open with it. That's all. And I'll see you at the end. Uh, I'll see you in the next podcast episode. And have a good day and always keep working on yourself and reach out if it's required. Okay. All right. Bye-bye.